You're listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Alrighty, let's open our Bible to Matthew 2. Let's look at the first and second verse. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, gathering together the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this has been written by the prophet. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your word, which is powerful and true. We thank you for the miraculous birth of Jesus that speaks to us today of your power and your might and your plan of salvation. And Lord, we give you thanks for this. We ask you to direct our hearts that we we can worship you um, in truth. And then we can know the presence of your spirit with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you think about Herod, you realize that Herod was preoccupied with power. When he inquired, when he asked where Jesus was going to be born, and when he, when he, uh, when he pursued that, uh, that knowledge, he wasn't interested in worshiping Jesus. He had no interest in uh, finding out where Jesus was born so that he could go worship him. He was preoccupied with his own power. He was preoccupied with his possessions and his prestige. And in addition to that, he was, he was preoccupied with paranoia. He had fear. He had fear of Jesus. He wasn't interested in knowing what Jesus could do for him. Um, he was afraid of the possibility that Jesus might have the ability to... Um, to affect his power and his throne. Uh, when you think about Mary, Mary was both overestimated and underestimated. The thing about Mary is that Mary was available. She was available to be used by the Lord however he chose. She was willing for that. She was a disciple. Today, tonight, I would like to look at the wise men, the magi. This is one of the great accounts in Scripture. Uh, One of the great accounts um, about Christmas is the visit of the wise men from the east. It's a really interesting aspect of uh, of the account of of the birth of Christ and the account of Christmas. These strange men who came from a strange faraway land and they brought gifts to the baby Jesus. Uh, they They brought gifts in a way that was intriguing, it was mysterious, and it's just a, uh, a fascinating aspect 
of, um, of the Christmas account. We're introduced to these mysterious men, as I read in Matthew 2. We read there, after Jesus was born during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. They knew that a king had been born. They knew that a baby had been born who was the king of the Jews. They didn't exactly know where. They were following a mysterious star. They were following a direction from the Lord God Almighty. This is a mystery that takes place shortly after Jesus was born. The wise men show up shortly after the birth of Jesus. You know, our nativity scenes all show uh, the baby Jesus along with the shepherds um, and the animals and the magi. The wise men are there. In reality, the wise men didn't come right along with the shepherds. They came along later. They came along a couple years later, actually. I love nativity scenes, um, but unfortunately, they're not all exactly scriptural. (laughs) The shepherds were there the night Jesus was born. The wise men came along shortly afterward. I've always wondered how long it took them... uh, We have the idea, we have the information that leads us to believe that this journey may have taken, may have been a thousand miles. Did it take them two years to go along that journey? Maybe it did. (laughs) It's entirely possible. It would have been pretty slow. They would have been traveling by camelback and, and probably some of the, some of their entourage on foot. So, um, the interesting thing about this, this journey that the Magi were on is at the very end, the very end, they didn't go straight to Bethlehem. They stopped off in Jerusalem. And it makes perfect sense. They were looking for the king of the Jews. So it made perfect sense that they would go to the capital. That, that misdirection, that little um, error in their journey, led to some grave consequences because being magi, being the important people that they were, They were able to walk right into audience with Herod. And they informed Herod right off the bat that they were looking for a king. Herod didn't know there was a king until the Magi asked about him. That led to some grave misfortune to residents there later on. So who were these wise men? Uh, the word magi doesn't have a whole lot of meaning for us today. We don't use that term. Um, the magi were the professors. They were the philosophers. Uh, they were the, the learned people of the day. And uh, they came out of a country that we would now call Iraq. These were professional people. They might have been trained in some medicine, in history, in religion, uh, they certainly studied astronomy. They knew the stars. Um, in fact, our modern word magistrate is a direct descendant of the word magi, and we pray that our magistrate are wise people, don't we? Not always sure that that's the case, but we pray that that's true. These men were, were men who thought a lot about life, and it was appropriate to call them wise men. So back in those days, astrology was connected with people's search for God. They searched the heavens. They knew the stars. The ancient people studied the stars, seeking for answers about questions of life. Things like, who am I? 
Where am I going? Why am I here? These are all important facts that we want to know about the Christmas people that we read about. Those highly influential men, uh, these magi, they served as advisors to kings. They were not kings. They weren't kings themselves, but they were advisors to king. You might even think that you might call them kingmakers. They might have been referred to as, as kingmakers. They were that influential. So, so what co- possibly could have motivated them to make a treacherous, and you can imagine how treacherous it was back in those days, to make a thousand-mile journey across the desert? There's only one answer that, to that question. That is that they came to see a baby king. Not just any baby king, a special baby king. And that's interesting because they knew that a baby had been born. They didn't know where. They knew he was a king, but they didn't know his name. And so they came to the capital city of Jerusalem looking for help. This made perfect sense because they were looking for a king of the Jews. And uh, Jerusalem would have been the place to go. They guessed, maybe, maybe they guessed that this king was the son of King Herod. Is that a possibility? That would have made perfect sense. But there was a surprise for them. Um, there's a little bit of detail about how uh, how uh, intrigued the Bible scholars have been uh, and astronomers for 2,000 years. That is that we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. So what was this star in the east? Let's look at the star in the east. There's a couple of theories about what the star might have been. And you, you might be aware of them already. You might have heard uh, some discussion on this. There was uh, an astronomer from Rutgers University, and he argued that the star might have been a a, um, a highly unusual alignment of stars and planets that would have brought them together, that would have made a brilliant star, something really unusual. Um, Jupiter was always considered to be a planet of the kings, and a lunar eclipse of Jupiter, um, while it was in the constellation that was this symbol of ancient Judea, would have brought about uh, speculation that there might have been a royal, uh, a royal birth. And uh, according to calculations by astronomers, this could have happened right at this time. In that same ar- uh, article, there's a, a British astrophysicist that argued that um, the, the Bethlehem star was a literal star, one star that can still be seen by a telescope today. Back when Jesus was born, it might have been a bright nova, incredibly bright. And uh, ancient Chinese astronomers report that there was an unusually bright star that appeared in the exact year that Jesus was born. This guy argues that ancient astrologers might have found that nova significant because of where and when it appeared, uh, which was during a triple conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in the constellation of Pisces. And that that, uh, event could have told the Magi to expect the imminent birth of the Messiah. This is from a U.S. News 
and World Report article. And uh, what they conclude is they said, we have now two fresh theories providing scientific support for the biblical story. You know, we don't have to have scientific support for the biblical story, but it's always nice when it's there, isn't it? Scientific evidence that the Bible is accurate, that the Bible is a historical document. These are things that actually happen. They're not just stories. It always disturbs me when people refer to uh, biblical people as characters. Because to me, when you refer to somebody as a character, it, refers, it, it makes them sound like it's fiction. The Bible is not fiction. The Bible is history. And these are not just characters. These are people. And these are not just stories. They're events. They're things that actually happened. But whatever that bright star was, it got the attention of the wise men. And it helps us to keep in mind that these wise men were, were students of the sky. They knew the sky. And when something happened that was different, that was out of the ordinary, that was unusual, they recognized it. They weren't afraid of what was happening. They weren't put off by anything that was unusual to them. They knew that when something unusual happened like that, that it was heralding something of a spiritual importance. And that sudden appearance of a bright star would have made perfect sense to them. And it would have, because in fact they already believed. They already believed. They were expecting the birth of the Messiah. They were expecting that. So without any question, that bright light, it was a supernatural work of God. Whatever it was, it was a supernatural work of God. You might say that if God wanted to get a message to these people, he picked the perfect way to do it. You know, most of our pictures of the Magi, they show these three guys <clears throat> riding a camel, and they're dressed in all kinds of finery. And it's just the three of them marching across the desert. Couldn't be anything further from the truth. In those days, traveling a thousand miles across the desert, you would have had to have a lot of help to survive. This was an entourage going across the desert. You probably could have seen the dust from a long ways away because there were a lot of people that were supporting these men. The Magi would have come into Jerusalem and there would have been some excitement connected with them arriving. Uh, they would have been strange men. Their dress would have been unusual for that place. And there would have been a bunch of them marching through Jerusalem. All the camels and, and everything that they were bringing for their survival. And uh, in fact, uh, there could have been a couple of hundred people involved in that. So the Magi, when they, when they came into town and they were recognized as being really important people, they didn't have any trouble getting in and seeing Herod. Uh, that fact alone, because you didn't just walk in and get an audience with Herod, but that fact alone tells us how important they were. Herod wants to know why they're there. And when he finds out they've come to worship a new king, like I mentioned before, he sees this as a threat. It's a threat to his power and it's a threat to his throne. And he wants to know where the new king is. Not to worship him but to kill him. So Herod turns to his scribes and leaders for advice. He has one question in verse 4. Where is the child going to be born? 
The scribes didn't have to search for the answer for that. They already knew. They already knew the answer. 700 years before the prophet Micah in Micah 5.2, he predicted the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem. We read, But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. It was common knowledge in Israel back then. Little children would have learned in, in uh, Sabbath school before they were very old at all. They would have learned. And it's hard to imagine that Herod hadn't heard that. And if you add in what the scribes knew to what the wise men figured out, you can easily conclude that the signs of Jesus' coming were clear enough for anybody to see. Friends, remember... God always speaks loud enough for a willing ear to hear. The wise men heard and they did something. The religious scholars knew and they didn't do anything. That's the difference. So as the Magi set out for Bethlehem, which is only about five miles south of Jerusalem, the star that they saw in the east suddenly reappears. Verse 9 is very specific about that. It says that the star went on before them until it came and it stood over the very home where the baby Jesus was. That doesn't really sound like just a natural star, does it? It sounds exactly like a miraculous star that was created by God to lead the Magi exactly to the right location. It's no wonder that in verse 10 it says that they were overjoyed. There's another version that uh, describes them as being thrilled with ecstatic joy. And I kind of like that. It was the end of their long journey, something that may have taken years for them to travel over. Verse 11 tells us then that on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. I've always wondered why the Magi weren't disappointed when they came to the place where Jesus was. Jesus was not in a palace. He wasn't in a castle. He wasn't even in a really, really fine home. He didn't have a scepter. He wasn't giving royal decrees. He didn't have people waiting on him hand and foot. He was living in a, in a poor, little, humble home. There was nothing at all that would make you think that Jesus was a king. There was nothing to the outward eye except that Jesus was a little peasant boy. But to the Magi, he was a king. To the Magi, he had more royalty in a cradle than Herod had in his fine palace. And so, somehow the wise men could see beyond the present and they could see into the future. And with a faith, with a deep faith, they worshipped Jesus. That word literally means to kiss toward and to intensely adore. To kiss toward and to intensely adore. Isn't that great? They knew that this child, this humble child, would one day rule the world and they weren't ashamed to fall on their face towards him. Think about that inherent contrast. Even though we read that the Magi met King Herod, uh, they made no effort to worship Herod. We don't read about that. 
We don't read about them falling down on their face to Herod. But when they finally found little King Jesus, these educated, these powerful, these intelligent, these kingmakers, they fell on their face towards Jesus. And to Jesus, they gave the honor that was due to a king. So what Herod craved from people, Jesus received. Now we come to the last detail, the one that the Magi are the most remembered for in verse 11, when they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, the tradition of giving gifts at Christmas didn't originate with Santa Claus. Didn't originate with St. Nick. It originated with the wise men. They brought gifts. Back then, bringing a gift was really important when somebody would come to visit somebody uh, somebody else who was a superior. Kind of like when the leaders of a nation visit the leaders of another nation and they bring a gift. Kind of like that. So the Magi were bringing a gift in respect of Jesus as a superior. It's just an aside, but you know, I, I hear that song about the wise men bringing Jesus. It, it goes, and I can't remember the words, but it's uh, a baby shivers in the cold and the wise men bring silver and gold. And I always think when I hear that song, I think, well, why didn't they bring him a blanket? He's cold. <laughs> you know, kind of a little practical thing there. Warm the baby up. But the point is that they were bringing treasures that had significance. Gold is a rare and expensive metal. It's appropriate to bring somebody who is a king. It's appropriate to... to uh, It represents wealth and it represents power. And it's something that you would give to a king. Frankincense was used in the temple to worship the Lord. And so it represents the baby Jesus' deity. He is truly God born in the human body. And myrrh was a kind of perfume that was made from the leaves of a rose, and it was used in beauty treatments, but then when you mixed it with vinegar, it became an anesthetic. And so when a person died, myrrh was used to anoint the body and to prepare it for a burial. John 19.39 tells us that after Jesus died, his body was wrapped in linen along with 75 pounds of myrrh and spices. And so the gift of myrrh was a picture of his impending death. So he was given gold in, um, in representation of him being a king, and he was given frankincense in representation of his deity, and then he was given myrrh in recognition of his eventual death. The gift of myrrh pictures his suffering and death. So gold points to God's, to uh, Jesus' majesty. He is a king. Frankincense points to his deity. He is God. And myrrh points to his humanity because he was destined to suffer and die. Did the Magi Magi understand all of this? Probably not. They probably didn't. But the Magi were not in charge of this trip, and they weren't in charge of of, uh, their actions here. God was leading them. God was leading them to this place, and he was leading them to bring these gifts. I wonder what we can learn from these wise men. What's the relevance of that? 
there are a couple of things that I can think of. Uh, these men met God in the midst of their work. These men were going about their work. They were, they were going about the work of being wise men and being kingmakers. And in the middle of this, God kind of dropped a bomb in their life. And it took them on a long journey out of their way into a mysterious land for them. And uh, it's interesting that their journey communicates to us today, still speaks to us today. The point is that God can and will communicate with us if we're faithful to do what he's called us to do. And we don't have to check out of life in order to uh, know God and in order to have uh, communication with God. He comes to us right where we are. Um, He comes to us in the middle of our jobs. He comes to us in the middle of our life. It's almost like God ambushes us. And he can do the same with us. He can do the same with us as he did for the wise men. The wise men found their way by consulting Scripture, by reading Scripture. When they started out, they followed a bright star. They got sidetracked to Jerusalem. And then what did they do? They went to the Word of God. They went to the Word of God to find out where the Messiah was going to be born. We need to do the same thing in our lives. If we get lost in our way, which can happen frequently... We don't need to try to figure things out on our own. Isn't that just the natural thing to do? We start, we start figuring out the pros and cons. We start weighing the evidences. We need to look for God's word for direction. How is God leading us? The Magi gave themselves to worship before they, before they gave the Lord what they had brought. First they gave their hearts to Jesus. That's the first thing they did. They bowed and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. You know, God wants our life before he wants our gifts. He wants our life before he wants our gifts. That's a good question to ask ourselves. Have we surrendered ourselves and have we submitted ourselves to the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ in our life? And sometimes that's not a one-time thing. Sometimes we have done that, and then somewhere along the way, we took it back again. And we need to go back, and we need to resurrender ourselves and resubmit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. Maybe that's something that is a good thing to check every day. Have we somehow, along in our day, taken back the Lordship of our life? We need to be sure that we're surrendered and submitted. So the Magi gave the gifts that they had. These seekers of God gave Jesus what they had. Their gifts were valuable and they were significant. The gold that they brought represents their wealth, their money, their possessions. Have we given ownership of that to the Lord? We need to give ownership of our, of our possessions, our whatever it is that we have, however great or small it might be, that belongs to the Lord. And frankincense is a symbol for prayer. So we bring our hopes and our dreams to the Lord in prayer. Do we do that on a regular basis? Do we do that uh, certainly, hopefully, daily, multiple times a day for some of us? We need to pray every hour or so just to get through our day. Myrrh is a symbol of suffering and sadness. We can give our pain and our heartache to the Lord. Nobody goes through life without something. Everybody has 
something in the pain and the heartache department. We need to give that to the Lord. We can give that to the Lord. He'll take that. These gifts all serve as a, as a validation of the Magi's worship, all of those gifts. And it reminds us that when we come and we worship the Lord and we give Him the Lordship of our life, that there are things that come along with that uh, that require us to submit to God, to submit those things to God. Uh, there are sometimes people who hang on. You know, it's easy to think, well, I can understand why people would want to hang on to their to their wealth and hang on to their hopes and their dreams, and they would want to hang on to that. Why would anyone want to hang on to um, suffering and sadness? But sometimes people do. Sometimes people hang on to those painful things. We need to give that up to God. So if the wise men can find Jesus, then so can we. Think about how many barriers the wise men had to get across to find the Lord. Um, A thousand miles in those days would have been a significant barrier. They didn't just get into their Jeep and drive. It was a journey. That was a significant barrier, and that created cultural barriers. You know, in those days, a thousand miles, uh, there would have been possibly language barriers. There would have been many things culturally that were barriers for them. The distance barrier, the racial barrier that they had to overcome, the religious barrier that they had to overcome. These were people who were not Jews, but they were coming to the Jews. Those were religious barriers. Um, think about the possible uh, hostile people along the way, the kings of those areas that they had to come across. There were many barriers that the wise men had to cross in order to find Jesus, but they found him. The Lord was faithful in leading them, and the Lord will be faithful in leading us too. And if God can use a star to reach those astrologers, then he can use anything to reach us. You know, I believe that God will use many things to get our attention. He has creative ways to break through all kinds of barriers. He has people who seem to be so far from him, but he can use something like a star in this case. He can use a book for somebody. He can use a conversation. He can use a radio program. He can use a song. He can use a totally random comment from a stranger to reach people. And he does. He does use those uh, those things. That bright star served like a travel guide for this little group of uh, of uh, king seekers. It was God's gift of a direction that he used to point them to the king of uh, of Christmas. It makes me think that God always provides travel guides to people who are seeking. Um, Travel guides are people who who help us along our way. Um, Those people, those of us who search for uh, Christ diligently, will eventually find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you. I will be found by you. We've all had experiences of uh, travel guides like this. Somebody who the Lord brought into our life that alters our experience. Somebody who has crossed our path 
and they've had some kind of, a, of an influence on us that altered our direction. We were headed in one direction, and because of this seemingly random encounter, our direction suddenly changes, and we go in a different direction. It could be somebody that, that we work with. It could be somebody that we go to church with. It could be a neighbor. It could be your parents, maybe your grandparents, maybe a friend. This would be somebody who has a light in their life, somebody who's a Christian. This would be somebody who loves the Lord, and, and, um, and their love is real, and their faith is so compelling that we trust them in a, almost a supernatural way. And our direction changes. Maybe we're still wandering kind of in this... Uh, spiritual limbo. We feel like we're not making much headway. Maybe we feel that we are spiritually detached in some way. I have some good news this Christmas. Chances are very good that God has always put a, already put a travel guide in your life. If you think about your relationships, think about the relationships of people that you have. You probably already know somebody who has a spiritual light that burns really bright already. And maybe their faith has caught your attention in some way. That person could, in fact, be God's Christmas gift to you. Maybe this person is a star that God has put in your life to point your way to salvation or to point you in a new direction of service for the Lord. Some of you know exactly who that is but maybe you don't want to follow them because of the direction they're pointing. Sometimes the direction that God's pointing us uh, comes with some sacrifices. Sometimes it calls us to give up something to God. It's not easy to listen to somebody who might be a star that's your spouse. Maybe your star is your wife or your husband. Maybe it's not easy to follow a parent Maybe the star is your child. Or maybe it's somebody that you know in some ministry at church and you're getting a direction from them. Maybe you've been waiting for some kind of a laser-bright travel guide from heaven to appear to you and that travel guide is already closer than you think. We need to let God determine the best way to lead us to the Lord. The wise men, I'm sure, would have preferred a more personalized uh, kind of guidance, but God spoke to them in a way that they understood. He spoke to them in a star. And it was meaningful, and it was powerful to them. The point is that these wise seekers were responsive to the guidance that the Lord uh, provided to them, and we should be too. However it comes, from whomever it comes, let me give you a Christmas challenge tonight. Determine for yourself right now that you're going to be more responsive to the travel guide that God has placed in your life. You're not going to put them off. The wise men were willing to take action. These men made a tremendously long journey that forever changed their lives, forever changed their lives. They put a commitment into action. They put feet to their faith. They didn't just sit there staring out into the heavens at the bright star saying, what a wonderful star that is. They got a sign and they moved. My question is, are you a seeker or are you a sitter? 
Some of us already know exactly what it is that the Lord is leading us to do, but we're sitting. We're sitting and we're ignoring the travel guides that God has put on our lives. We could have three different kinds of responses to this story. The wise men were eager to seek the Messiah and they did whatever it took to find him. That capable and crafty and cruel King Herod, he was totally hostile to the whole idea of Christmas. He was hostile to the idea of King Jesus and he did everything he could to prevent it from happening. The religious leaders had the Bible as their travel guide. They knew exactly where Jesus was going to be born. They knew right where it was. But they were apathetic. They wouldn't even make a five-mile journey to Bethlehem. On the other hand, the wise men traveled a thousand miles. And the people who should have been there right away first, right along with the shepherds, because they lived just down the road, and they knew the most, they didn't even show up. Friend, I wonder what your, what your response is this Christmas. Are you an eager seeker or are you hostile towards this thing called Christianity? Or are you just apathetic and you just don't care? No matter where you're at, God loves you more than you can possibly know. You know, Christmas is really a celebration of an invasion. It's when God sent his son Jesus down to earth in a body to identify with us and then to die as our sin substitute on the cross. It's his Christmas gift to us. It's God's Christmas gift to us. Do you know where the, do you know who the real seeker is in this Christmas story? The real seeker is God. The real seeker is God. He's seeking us and he put travel guides in our life to help us come and find his son. This year and every year, all during the year, we are invited to return to Bethlehem. There's a baby there who is a king, he's a god, and he's a sacrifice. He's a king in a cradle. He's a deity in diapers. The sacrifice is sleeping in his mother's arms. And before long, he will rise up to do his work and the world will see him for who he really is and but for that moment that baby is resting in Bethlehem he's surrounded by gifts fit for a king and he's waiting to see how we'll respond I read a story once there were three frogs on a log and one of them decides to jump off And so, how many are left? You might think two are left. But there's still three, because all one did was decide to jump. He never jumped. He just decided to jump. I wonder if you're like the frog. I wonder if you're still sitting on the log today. You've decided to jump, but you've never jumped. If so, the time to jump off is now. Time to jump off the log is now so that you can bow down to the one who can change your life. Tonight, let's put our faith and our trust in Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do what the wise men did. I'm going to ask you to do what the wise men did and bow to Jesus tonight. You don't have to get down on the floor to do this. What I would like you to do is to bow in your heart because God's interested in our heart. 
It's very easy to bow physically with our body, but not with our heart. But God wants us to bow with our heart to him. He wants us to surrender our life to the Lord, to him. The Bible says that one day everyone will bow before Jesus when we die. If we have received the Lord as our sin substitute, then we will enter into heaven if we've bowed with our heart. If not, you can still bow before him and lose out in heaven. I just ask you to demonstrate your submission to the Lord. Give him a gift of your life by bowing in your heart with him right now. And as we do that, I'm going to pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. An incomparable gift that we can't even understand at this point in our life. But with a faithful heart, we bow to King Jesus. Lord, we submit to you. Lord, we give you control of our heart. We give you control of our life. We give you control of everything that we have. We ask you, Lord, to bless us. We know, Lord, that there is so much that we lack in the area of faith and understanding, but we put our trust in you, Lord. And we give you thanks that you're willing to die in our place so that we can come and stand before God on that great day being completely free of sin. And we can stand there without fear. Lord, we just ask you to bless each and every individual tonight here. And uh, we ask you, Lord, to meet the special needs that they have, those unspoken, those unspoken needs, those unspoken fears. We ask you, Lord, to bless them and to answer those things in their heart. And we just ask for peace. We ask for uh, quietness in our spirit. And Lord, we just ask you to come into our life and make changes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship. Or call us at 800-357-4226. Don't forget to catch next week's morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship.